I'll be reading from Matthew 7, verses 15 through 29. Be on your guard against false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this sermon. I pray as we read and study these words, we will see where we are the Pharisees he's talking to and not the disciples. Open our ears and our hearts to what you would have us understand. Lord, may we be more like you. Change our minds. Change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, Before we get to the thrilling conclusion of our series on the Sermon on the Mount, a couple of very quick announcements. You have probably noticed that this morning we are live and in color from the sanctuary of the church at Lachlan Springs. Now, this morning and for the next at least several weeks, These pews will be filled only with the 10 to 12 uh, essential volunteers necessary to make this happen. It is a foretaste of the day that we can all be back in this room together, whatever that looks like, whenever it happens. Having said that, we also know that many of you, it will be a while before you're comfortable coming back. It will be a while before you're able to be together again. We get it. We know it. We see you every single week when it looks like this or when the day comes that we can begin to slowly start opening this room back up to the public. Every single week, we will be broadcasting. Every single week, we will be live. Every single week, we will make it available to you. You are not forgotten and you are not alone. For the past eight or so weeks, we have been walking through the most famous sermon probably ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. 
that we find in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. For the last eight weeks, we have watched as Jesus himself, the crowds fanned out on the hill in front of him, challenged the religious status quo as he turned the traditional view of righteousness completely on its head. You know, biblical righteousness versus this hypocritical quasi-righteousness. Um, as he continued to return to the idea of, of internal change, a transformed heart. The internal versus the external. The eternal versus the temporal. For the last eight weeks, we've watched as, as Jesus has you know, com- compared kind of the ugliness and darkness in many of our hearts to these tangible external sins that are universally condemned. You know, if you're um, overcome with anger, it is no different than murder. If you're overcome with lust, it's no different than adultery. We've watched as Jesus has talked to us about loving our enemies, about generosity, about how to approach our heavenly father, our creator in prayer. We've seen Jesus uh, talk about the, the dangers of the idolatry of just stuff and things and tangible temporal goods and um, the, the stuff in our homes and the stuff in our careers and how all of that leads to this overwhelming anxiety. We've looked at in chapter seven as Jesus has, has begun to say, hey, as we're all on this path, as we're all in this posture, don't stand in judgment of one another, but instead recognize where we are and walk alongside each other on this path. Now, as you hear all that kind of, kind of in one summary, it is way easy to think that's hard. I, I don't, I don't do that. Well, Jesus says, you're right. It is hard. The gate that leads to life is narrow. The path beyond it is difficult. It is hard to find and very few will go through it. It's hard. Now, as Jesus begins to wrap up this Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus begins to kind of bring it home to these people that are sitting in front of him, the people that are sitting in these pews, you that are sitting at home, he says, okay, if you're looking for that gate, if you're looking for that path, ask, seek, knock, right? And beware, in the passage that Tiffany read for us this morning, beware of the false teachers that are going to lead you the wrong direction. Beware of the wolves that are in sheep's clothing. Basically, beware of anyone that leads you in a direction contrary to what I have just taught. Well, you may wonder, as I'm sure those people on that hill that day wondered, how how do we know? How can we tell? How can we tell the good from the bad? How can we tell the good teachers and and the good lessons from the bad teachers and the bad lessons? How do we know who to follow? 
And Jesus gives us the litmus test right here. You will know them by their fruit. Now, he he doesn't really elaborate on the fruit metaphor, exactly what we're looking for, but he does give us a couple of examples. Grapes and figs, right? And the examples he gives us are very important. They are incredibly important culturally to to ancient Egypt, and it's important to look at them. Uh, Grapes and figs both were a part of the produce brought back to Moses by his spies from Canaan as examples of how fruitful and prosperous this land of milk and honey, how amazing the promised land was, grapes and figs. The Old Testament prophet Micah actually used used grapes and figs when he was describing um, the coming day, the reestablished kingdom of God. It's this incredible symbol of peace and tranquility. In chapter 4, Micah says, They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. Grapes and figs, peace and tranquility. Grapes are mentioned more than any other fruit in the Bible. Incredibly important, both culturally and economically, in the ancient world. Figs, this just incredibly luxurious, sweet, late summer fruit. Now, if you've, if you've ever been in the ancient world, we, we had several fig trees near us in Italy and, and picked a fig directly off the tree, warm from the summer sun, and eaten it as you stood there. There is nothing sweeter. The problem is, not many of us that grew up in the South know anything about figs and very little about grapes. Maybe kind of a more relevant analogy to us would be ripe, perfect, incredible, sweet summer peaches. Fortunately for me and anyone like me, here in East Nashville, we finally have a permanent peach truck established just up the road from here. And if you've ever gone to the peach truck, if you haven't, I would highly recommend you going to the peach truck. Every peach they give you is perfect. It's juicy. It's sweet. It's amazing. Their peaches are are picked on the exact perfect day. They're grown in the exact perfect conditions. And most importantly, every single one of them guaranteed is picked from a peach tree. Because where else would you get peaches, right? That's exactly what Jesus says here. You will know them by their fruit, and you can't get grapes from a thorn bush. You can't get figs from thistles, and you can't get peaches from the hackberries that grow all around East Nashville. No matter what you try to get out of that hackberry, it ain't going to be a sweet, luscious peach. You will know them by their fruit. Look at the people that you're following. Look at the people that you are learning from. What does their fruit look like? Do they sow anger and dissension? Do they peddle in a works-based righteousness? 
Do they promise a broad, easy, smooth path? What does their life look like? Do they practice what they preach? Do their actions match their words? Do yours? The fruit is a reflection of the tree. Now, if you've been paying attention over these past couple of months, if you've been paying attention this morning, right here is where you say, hold up, Hannah, pump the brakes. For two months, you've been telling me Jesus has been teaching that it's not about our actions, it's about our hearts. Internal versus the external. I've heard you say it a hundred times. And now you're turning around and telling me that if my actions don't match what I say I believe, I am a bad tree that produces bad fruit. That is exactly what I'm saying. Because that is exactly what Jesus says. And there is not any disconnect from that and everything we've been talking about and studying and praying through for the last two months. Jesus recognized that people might get a little confused by this analogy. So he immediately speaks into it, starting in verse 21, as he describes what it will be like when many of us try to enter the kingdom of heaven and we go to our creator and we say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name? Do miracles in your name? Do tornado relief in your name? Teach Sunday school in your name. Go to church every Sunday in your name. Tithe 10% of our income in your name. Jesus, didn't we do these things? You know what Jesus doesn't say when he responds? He doesn't say, no, you didn't do any of those things. He does not question the actions. What he does say is, I have no idea who you are. I have never met you. You're going to have to go. You see, the people that Jesus is describing here in verses 21 through 23, they're the ones that are still stuck on this idea of earning their righteousness. They're the ones that are still stuck on this idea that they can somehow deserve their salvation when they put themselves up against the other guy. They can say, I did all these things. He didn't. You've got to let me in. Look at the evidence, right? What they don't understand What many of us don't understand is our relationship with our creator is not established by what we do. What we do is established by our relationship with our 
creator. Let me say that again. Our relationship with our creator is not established by what we do, but what we do is established by our relationship with our creator. What Jesus is saying is, if you think your righteousness comes from what you do, you've got it all wrong. The flip side is, if your actions don't line up with a transformed heart, you need to ask, have you ever really met your creator? And then as Jesus begins to bring it all home, he does so with one of the most long-standing, familiar metaphors in the entire New Testament. The two houses, the house built on the sand, the house built on the rock. Jesus starts by saying, therefore, in light of everything I've just said, in light of everything I've just taught, in light of our reliance on a transformed heart, our understanding that we can only enter the kingdom of heaven through a relationship with Jesus himself. In light of all of that, who are you going to be? Are you going to be the man that builds his house on the sand? And then when the rains fall, the floodwaters rise, the winds blow, the house is destroyed because the foundation is constantly shifting. Or will you be the one who builds his house on the rock? So when the rains fall and the floodwaters rise, the winds begin to blow. The house stays firm. Now, pay attention to this picture that Jesus paints. Recognize there is no difference between the two houses that are built. He doesn't say the house built on the sand was built with shoddy workmanship, cheap materials, way too fast. It was a good house. It was a solid house. The only difference is where these two homeowners chose to build their house. Jay Strother, who is the um, pastor down at our sister church in Spring Hill, he has a buddy who's made $150 million in the foundation business. Jay asked his friend, how is that business so booming? And his friend told him, right now the foundation business, it's like, it's basically like printing money. Because of the housing boom, contractors can't build houses fast enough. There's tons of competition. Houses are going up constantly, being sold before they're even finished. So in order to make sure their house is the one that gets sold, they're putting their money in granite countertops, in upgraded fixtures. If you're Joanna Gaines in shiplap and barn doors. The sexy stuff, the stuff that sells. In order to get all that stuff in, they're cutting the corners on the things you can't see. Things like the foundation. Foundation. 
The house is built. The house is sold. You own it. The foundation begins to crack. It's inevitable when you don't put the work into the foundation. Where will you build your house? You have a choice to make. But make no mistake, this is not a matter of gradients on a spectrum. It is a binary choice. There are only two options. There are only two gates. The wide gate with the smooth path. The narrow gate with the difficult path. There are only two types of trees. The good tree that produces good fruit. The bad tree that produces bad fruit. And there are only two foundations. The shifting sands or the solid rock. The place that Jesus doesn't give us an option is whether or not the storms will come. Tornadoes, pandemics, recession, civil unrest. The storms will come. For many of us, the storm is here. The question is, Where will you build your house? If you want to know what it looks like to build your house on the solid rock, I am begging you, reach out to me, find me, let me walk alongside you on that path. It will be my great and incredible honor. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful, grateful beyond words today, grateful for your presence with us wherever we are. As we have prayed so many times in this room, we are grateful that your presence is not relegated to this place, but it permeates every nook, every cranny, every corner of our lives. We're grateful for technology that allows us to worship together all across the city, all across the country, all across the world. Most of all, Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to build our house on the solid rock. As the floodwaters rise, We are established in you. We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.